Welcome to the Dividend Talk Podcast, episode number 17, Munich RE, a Dividend Stock Review. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Dividend Talk. I'm your co-host, Engineer My Freedom, and today I'm joined with European DGI. This is a podcast where we discuss our passion for dividend growth investing with our own unique European flavor. If you're new to our channel, please hit the like button and subscribe to us and check out our previous episodes on YouTube and Spotify and all your other favorite platforms. See you on the inside. Yo, 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 what's up, European DJ? How are you going? Uh, very good. Uh, I had a really great week. Lots of productivity at work, but also I spend a lot of time with the kids and the family. Weather is still good over here, so probably one of the last weeks before the winter, I guess a soft winter starts kicking in. How about you? Well, I'm slightly hungover, as you know, so I'm feeling a little bit sorry for myself, but I'm excited, looking forward to this to this episode. Um, we know we're talking about an insurance company here, which is quite new to me. So I'm excited to see how this one turns out. Well, I can only advise you maybe a, a warm beer with raw egg mixed in it for your hangover. I'm blaming Diageo for this, by the way. It's it's one of their products that has done this to me. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's get started then about Munich RE. Um, we both studied it over the last few days, I guess, and I just wanted to ask, what is your first impression about the about the company, and what did you learn about it? Yeah, I mean, as I said, it was it was quite new insurance companies for me. I remember I wrote to you. I was looking at their their financial statements, going, "What is going on here? All all the terms and phrases that I'm used to were just were just not there." So it took took a little bit of getting used to to actually understand and read what was going on. But they are, a, as I said, a, a global reinsurer that provide products for traditional reinsurance solutions for risk. Um, and then they also, they split up into, I think it's an Ergo, E-R-G-O group, which is represented in, in 30 companies worldwide. And then they obviously offer your your usual insurance kind of products as well. So they're, they're split up into a few different kind of segments. You look at life and health reinsurance property um life and health in ergo and then ergo international so lots of different markets um and probably a company you know a little bit more about i know i know you you're invested in them so have you anything else to add to that i suppose yeah i think it's just one of the biggest reinsurance companies at least in europe but probably even in the world and it's a really old one from that point of view it's german uh, domiciled it also gets uh, most of its earning or most of its uh, i said uh, sales from germany i guess together with north america and maybe for the warren buffett fans in here at uh, warren buffett had also staked into the, in, in this company up to a few years ago but he then pulled out because he didn't see really a lot of growth happening for this company and in general with the low uh, rate environment uh, with the ECB uh, having zero interest rates and such um, 
I think he thought, okay, there's nothing to earn here. So, and this is something that we also analyze here. But uh, for the Buffett fans, yeah, he was owning this like he was owning IBM at the time, but he pulled out uh, a few years ago. And yeah, I think maybe to bring it totally back. So when we talk about life insurance, is you know, if someone dies, they pay out. If you have a car accident, they pay out. But also events, they they insure events and such. So if an event gets cancelled, they, they they pay out. So this is all what they what they um, I said uh, reinsure and how they typically earn their money is just by the underwritings of the policies and uh, on in the grand scheme of thing if people claim less than than what the policies are worth then they earn some money and they typically use also this concept that Buffett made really famous with his empire that he built up with his own Geico so he uses float and the company does the same here as well so when they collect the premiums they invest that for instance in uh, in bonds and this is also actually an issue for the company now in this low yield environment but they invest some of that uh, while they wait until the claims come in and this is typically how they can kind of um, hedge their earnings as well and that's been tough for them lately yeah we can, we can see that kind of COVID, like, like everything else has has had an impact on their, their earnings we know that the i think it's the property casualty reinsurance business is, the, is their biggest segment it's roughly made 42 percent of their gross premium income but if, if we were to look at their annual report you can see that covid the the pandemic has affected long-term losses in, in this property casualty reassurance which is well above what they said is the average no i'm not sure what the average is but they just mentioned that it was was well above above it so we can assume that it's quite significant and um, they've also made losses from major events so again we i, I had a brief look i was looking about i'm thinking maybe football matches or concerts events I, I was kind of wondering if the european championships were involved in this somehow but they but they have lost a significant amount of money to, to these events as well and also the mortality rate in the usa has increased which obviously we know it's it's in the news but but all these you know couple of things have accelerated the losses you know there has been a flip side to that as well so they can offset um some losses not losses but they didn't have to pay out as much in in say like car crashes motor or major losses or natural catastrophe so there was a kind of a flip side to to it but i suppose they they did have a major impact COVID has had a major impact on what they've had to pay out this year yeah it will be interesting uh, to see what q3 happens i don't know how much they have insured in california with the forest fires as an example we'll see that again probably what's clear to say here is that when we use losses we mean like they had to pay out more more claims because the company is still profitable it's not making a loss uh, at the moment it's probably good to clarify to the audience yeah good point so what i find now that we started talking a little bit about it uh, it's probably good to go a little bit further into the earnings so i took the q1 and q2 report as an example they have uh, a gross premiums written of around 27 billion compared to 25 billion last year uh, for the same time frame so actually their premiums grow with 7.7 percent 
percent, which is good because these are strong numbers uh, to to earn almost two billion more on 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 uh, on premiums. But to the point here is that their um, I said their expenses for claims and benefits was twenty billion twenty dot three billion compared to almost nineteen billion, and this is really where the earnings were impacted this year in the first part of the year, and. This is also what I'm really curious about uh, when it comes to Q3, because if Q3, I mean, how I look at it, I saw a lot of activity in the summer. During the summer, I saw many people being outside again. So I do expect that all around the globe, uh, I said life came back a little bit again. So I expect for Q3 at least again an uptick, just due to the fact that there might be less claims. Um, not sure yet uh, what, it, what it meant in America, but I'm more talking from a European perspective. But what it then did to the earnings per share is that last time, uh, last year, in 2019, on the first six months, they made around 11 euro. And now in the first six months, they might, they made 5.71. So mainly due to, due to the increase of, um, I said, uh, claims, it couldn't offset the increase in premiums written um their earnings halved and i have i have a feeling here that if we get back to normal with a vaccine i still do think that uh, more companies will keep insuring more because usually you get the flight to safety after such a major event uh, if something happens i mean after a care uh, i said after a car crash people are more likely probably to insure for another car crash than they might have done before. So I take the psychology here also. So I do believe that there might be some, um, uh, I said, uh, there might be some premium staying there, yeah, from, from that they might have not had before the pandemic. Yeah, you'd have to agree, such as the, the major events, concerts and, and, and so on. At the moment, they're, they're quite uncertain. We're going back into lockdown in, in Ireland here. So, we, we were just starting to come out and people are starting to organize these things and in the back of your mind if you're organizing an event or if you're involved in property you do want to have that insurance going forward so you can you can you can see that people will use that psychology and start probably buying more insurance the, the downside to that is if we do go through this again we're going to see higher payout rates as well which which would negatively impact the company what would you do if you would need to underwrite an insurance wouldn't you just ask more money because the risk increased? Oh, yes, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So th th that's maybe also what we need to see in Q3, right? How the premiums were, if the premiums were growing uh, as well on this. Yeah. Would you like to say a little bit about uh, the earnings over the last decade as an example? Yeah, the, the, the earnings are quite flat uh, along with the, with the revenue. So we, we typically are not seeing a whole lot of growth in this company and, and you alluded to that earlier warren buffett was invested in this company and didn't see any growth so so came out of it and, and you can see why it, it looking over the, the last decade we've, we see earnings in 2013 for example were 1845 uh, earnings per share and we look at last year earnings were 1897 so you can see it's virtually flat over that period of time um the cash flow has, has been similar. We have seen an uptick in cash flow uh, last year. It went massively from about 4 million or 4 billion up to 9. So there was probably some sort of sale or something involved there. But typically, we're seeing cash flow is flat, earnings is flat, and, and revenue is, is quite flat. Um, for, for me, 
uh, I'd agree with, with with Warren Buffett there. I don't see any any growth in that. And we'll probably touch on this later on when we're doing evaluations. Um, so look, they're 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 steady. We know what you know what you're getting, but at at the moment, there's just zero growth there. Yeah, so they, they have been active in share buybacks and um, they have reduced the share count, I believe, over the last five years with around, what was it, 15%? Yeah. So that, that's quite significant, I would say, 3% per year. And um, I know that the price was typically around between 140 and 200 or 220. So it's a little bit, uh, I would say it had some good compared to where the price is today, it had some good times when it comes to share buyback, but also sometimes probably more on the expensive side. Um, also, when we then look more at, uh, let's say, the uh, balance sheet and such, uh, the interest is pretty well covered. Mm, currently with uh, 7.4, if, if you look at the interest coverage ratio, but that's because the earnings were almost half. So usually you can expect them more around 10 or 11. This is just a really good number. So it, they have no issue with with their debt load, they have no issue with paying the debt uh, based uh, based on the uh, earnings that are coming in. Their debt, I mean, we looked at the balance sheet, right? It's a bit hard to read their balance sheets with all the provisions that they make in there. But generally, when we went a bit deeper, it just looked really healthy. So um, I see no no red flags when it comes to their balance sheet. So if we then look at it, you know, earnings are, uh, I said, relatively flat. Uh, I said payout ratio is typically around 50%. Um, and then we have a really healthy balance sheet. Tells me just it's a really conservative company that is using their cash flow wisely by paying dividends. We'll touch soon on that. And 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 also buying back shares. So for me, it's it sounds like a really conserves, conservatively run company that understands what they are that they are having kind of a low growth profile. And they are just, I think, really really spending their money wisely. Yeah, there's not a company that has been excessively growing growing their um, debt to reward shareholders, right? So yeah. that's, I think, quite nice about this company, although they have flat growth. You, you touched on the, the payout ratio there, and I think it's interesting for our listeners to know that they calculate their payout ratio using the IFRS profit. Now, I know you wrote a post recently on, on Bayer and, and your your thoughts at the moment and you you did include actually the difference between ifrs profit and, and core profit so i think it's interesting to understand the difference on that and i, I i'll let you say a little piece on that but when you go on to their website onto onto munich's website you'll see that they have their payout ratio typically around 50 percent, but it's based on that ifrs um profit yeah, so this is just for me uh, nice because that means they use their own bookkeeping, right? So uh, with buyer, what you see in a pharmaceutical like that, they are using all these kinds of one-off events all the time to beef up their their earnings numbers, right? So they take the R&D um, uh, amateurization or impairments out there. So when they, for instance, uh, or when they purchase a company, that there is an early uh, phase two trials or something like that, and they fail, they they all take that out of the earnings. So for me, they're then just prepping up a cash flow statement. But what it is, is just financial manipulation to make it look better for the investors. And I think you have Munich RE here again, that's just a decent company trying to be transparent to the shareholders, I think, in an honest way. 
Um, that's how I look at the data. The issue is just that there's a lot of insurance language in there because more around return on equity and, 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 and all the premiums written and the float, which makes it much more harder to read this annual report if we are used to the Unilevers uh, and buyers of this world, right? So, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. As I said earlier, when I started to, to look at these, I was not panicking, but kind of looking at it, pulling my hair out. Going, what does this mean? What does this mean? But yeah. we, we, we kind of got through it in the end. But I suppose we get to the interesting part as, as dividend growth investors. We'll have a little look at, at their dividend history. And it, it is relatively impressive when, when you look at it. From a European company, they've they've paid for 50, 50 years plus, which is which is exceptional, I think you'd agree. The the current dividend stands at nine uh, euro eighty cent, and uh, which is which gives you a four point five dividend yield at, at current prices. Our uh, ten year growth has been roughly four point six percent. Five years was slightly lower, three point five, but last year they exceeded that by a one year growth of, of nearly six percent. So th they are a company that do like to reward their shareholders, so to speak, and. As we said, it's it's quite an impressive dividend growth history on that. I, I, I would say that their dividend is safe. It, it doesn't look like from anything we've seen that their dividend is, is in any jeopardy. We, we know that there is concerns over the, the lack of growth or earnings, but they've got plenty of room. We, we've looked at the payout ratio from the earnings, from free cash, uh, free cash flow, and then their, their own payout ratio. And, and each of them all hover under 50%. So... I mean, there's, there's plenty of room for growth, plenty of room for them to keep paying dividends. So from a dividend point of view, they're certainly a good bet, I think. Yeah. And if you don't know, um, I think it's also in the top five of the Noble 30 index. So it's really, it's a really prominent place there. I think probably number three after Nestle and Unilever. So it's really one of those dividends uh, uh, aristocrats in Europe. So if you then look at the future, right? So we said like earnings flat. What I know is that this company is really trying to get into fintech, which is really hard for a company that size. I mean, just imagine, I mean, if they have a conservative approach to money management in the board of directors, I'm for sure they have also a conservative approach to technology. I assume they're not working on a typewriter anymore. I hope that they switch to at least to a, a computer, maybe a desktop. Uh, maybe there are some with a MacBook there. <laughs> but I even don't expect the CIO were, uh, having a MacBook there. But uh, what they are doing is they have a, a business uh, vertical which is called Digital Ventures, and they are now actively partnering with uh, fintech startups. They're also looking at IoT uh, to really kind of go more into a preventive mode with their customers so that they prevent having, uh, let's say, large claims. So they're really trying to, to to do a digital transformation, not only internally, but especially in the markets that they operate and that they're customers. So this is still relatively small. I know they started already a few years ago. However, if you looked at their portfolio, uh, like a few years ago, it was almost nothing, but now they have already 100 million in sales uh, through those digital partners. So it is growing rapidly. It's still on a really low scale compared to how they run their daily business. So I believe that um, they're doing the right thing. It's just a question like when will this really start uh, hitting the bottom line that it become, that it turns the company back to growth 
yeah and i think we should see the growth here probably not in higher premiums necessarily i think that will stay around inflation but for for instance if they can be a total digital business it will just allow them to to write way more premiums with less cost and less people and that's where i see the potential for a company like munich RE. yeah and, and with that in mind it's probably good to lead into the valuation of the company using the dividend discount model and the dividend cash flow because growth here is, is really important and, and how you see the growth of a company and, and where you think they're going to go. For example, on the dividend cash flow, we've put down zero growth based on what we've seen in the past. Um, and that's given us a, a fair value of about 166 euro, which, which would leave the company overvalued at the moment. However, if you were to expect, I don't know, say 5% growth, then that would lead a fair value of 242 euro, which would leave us undervalued. So how you, how you see the growth in this company over the next few years is, is definitely important from a valuation aspect. Personally, I would like to see a little bit of growth next year or the year after before maybe making this assumption. So I can only, I can only assume 0% growth based on what, what we've seen, but um, it's it, it certainly, it's certainly more important to see them grow in, in terms of how, how you value them. And just to touch on the dividend discount model, we've got a fair value of 192, and, and that's using a discount rate of 8.6, which we got from their annual report. I think they've used two figures. They used 8.1 and 9.1 on their two segments, and we just split the difference. And with their dividend growth rate of, of 3.5, we got a fair value of 192. So all in all, at, at current growth levels, it looks like the company is overvalued but if you do expect this digitalization to take take over in the next year maybe five years and you see over the next five years you expect a five percent growth rate then they look incredibly undervalued yeah maybe a disclaimer here i own some shares of uh, munich re i think it's a tier two company for me um i think i have it now for 30 percent filled this position and typically i add uh, shares to this company few shares when it dips under 170 so for me it's one of those uh, you can say foundational stocks because i still see them growing dividends for the upcoming 10 years uh, with their how they are spending their money how they are buying back shares i just expect still to do really well when it comes from a return on investment and, and a dividend uh, investor so i feel totally fine with owning these shares um, but it is indeed uh, a low to no growth company but that's the nice thing right if you look at companies like philip morris over time they have been able um, um still to grow dividends while for instance their their sales were not doing a lot because less and less people were smoking of course they have now an uptick with um, uh, these vaping products but this is how i also look a little bit at munich re like it's nice to have like a Microsoft and such in my portfolio, but this is the one that I sleep well at night. I literally only watch one once a year, probably in their annual report to see if I see anything awkward and that's it. And you know what you get from it. So for me, it's one of those that gives always a good yield and it allows me to reinvest to really do the compounding on other uh, ones. So I sleep perfectly well with the stock also at a no growth situation for the upcoming five, six years. Yeah, I, I don't own any, but it would definitely be one I'd consider after looking at them. I'm quite comfortable with the dividend. The dividend is is, is really good. 
And even though there has been no growth in earnings and stuff, if you look at a, a total return perspective from an investor point of view, the share price was was at 140 euro maybe seven, eight years ago. It's it's upwards of 200 now. So you've seen that growth, that appreciation in price, and then that constant increase in, in the dividend as well. So from an investor point of view, it looks like a safe bet. I would just like to see the company do a little bit a little bit more. They wouldn't probably wouldn't be tier two for me, maybe three or four. But but from a European company that uh, consistently increased dividends for nearly fifty years, I mean that's that's like a unicorn, right? That's that's one of a rare breed. So definitely, definitely a company I would I would consider buying in the future. Super. Well, I hope that our audience found found this um, interesting. You know, we're European people, so uh, we have the show also for the European audience. And I think this is a company that most people see on lists uh, popping up as a on dividend uh, when they do pull it through dividend screeners. So I hope we, I said, uh, demystified a little bit this company and give you our view on um, uh, what it means to a dividend investor. So. Cool, yeah, so we'll, we'll jump into some of the listeners' questions. These seem to be getting longer and longer each week, so we, we might have to do a separate show just for questions at this rate. But some, some really good questions, and I'd like to start with um, the first question from Phil, who was a guest on our show a couple of weeks back, and he asked, for turnaround companies, any specific things you check versus a normal purchase? Uh Yes, but let me first explain what a turnaround company is. Not everyone might uh, know this term. So a turnaround company is some is a company that, for instance, had a few years of negative growth or, or decline, let's say. The business is deteriorating, it's going nowhere, and you're then making the investment on the expectation that it could turn around yeah? and that it could find its path to growth again. So to answer Phil's question, what I really check is their CEO. Do they have a competent CEO? I give you examples of successful turnarounds. Think about Microsoft. Steve Ballmer was going nowhere. He was still trying a Windows phone, bought Nokia. They've written off Nokia, I think, two years later with Satya Nadella. But Satya Nadella came in with his vision for the cloud, and poof, the company uh, already went four or five times, uh, four or five times multiple from since he stepped in. Uh, another company, for instance, that's really interesting now is IBM. Uh, because IBM uh, went also nowhere for the last decade, uh, also this former Buffett stock. And now this new CEO came in, like he, he is as boring as hell. I mean, he has only two suits, two colors of suits. It's uh, light gray and, and, and dark gray, but both boring. But at least he spun the company now, uh, a part of the company is spinning off. So these are the first evidences that you can think, like, okay, is this now really becoming a turnaround play? Or not. Another one is General Electric. Well, we all know the story. I think after Jeff Immelt, um, how he how he just killed this company. New CEO came in, did a really good job before. It's now in here. It's trying to clean up the mess. And with General Electric, it's now a question: Will this company turn around or not? So you need to look at some of those signals that that uh, from a, what the CEO is doing there that might turn them back to growth. So for me, a competent CEO is the first one that I look at for a turnaround play. Nice. So let's do the second question then. Maybe uh, this one for you from Dividend Wave. Do you reinvest Altria dividends or do you redeploy them somewhere else? So at the moment, the answer is no. And that's not by choice. It's just because my main broker, um, the Gyro, does not reinvest dividends. 
So I have no choice but to either invest in myself or, or put them elsewhere. This time around, I've I've put them elsewhere. Um, I've joked on Twitter recently that at the rate we talk about Shell, we might get um, a sponsorship from them. But I, I bought more share, shares of Shell from from those dividends. So typically, when I get dividends from from the Goyro, I pick, I choose where to to reinvest those. Yeah, makes sense. Investment talk then. Next question. Uh, imagine that you are sent to a desert island, and it is desert or desert? Desert. Okay, pity. I was hoping for dessert. Um, for one week with nothing but water and food. What three books are you taking? I mean, the, the first book is is pretty obvious. It's called How to Survive a Desert Island by Jim Pipe. I mean, if you're going to be stuck, if you're going to be stuck there, you need to know how to survive. So that's that's my top priority. But but after that, I haven't. I've deliberately not put investing books in here. I've deliberately stayed away because if I'm stuck on a desert island, the island away from everybody, I don't want to be thinking about about my financial situation. So the first book I would have is the Slash Autobiography. Um, I don't know if you've read it. It's it's it's. A brilliant brilliant book what this guy's got up to is absolutely crazy um and i've read it twice already and I, i'd read it again and then the, the last book i'd have is i really love books around world war and and the dynamic between europe and, and russia and, and all these so one book that i've that I, I want to read is called the spy and the traitor by ben mcintyre so they would be my three books how about you Mine would be, first of all, The Snowball, uh, this biography about Warren Buffett uh, for multiple reasons. It's 1,000 pages, so it would kill the time. Secondly, it will probably float on the ocean, so it could maybe bring me home. If not, I can at least use it as a as a pillow. So you need to stay practical with, with the books you choose. The next one would be uh, one of those books from J Jamie Oliver for beginners so that I would know how to cook a, a decent meal. I think I know it a little bit, but maybe not with some of those ingredients that he uses sometimes that you might find in the tropical area. And the third one, it will be just any survival guide that uh, teaches me how to make fire without matches, probably. <laughs> because for the mosquitoes there, I don't want to be bitten by mosquitoes all the time. And that's what I expect on desert islands, so. desert <laughs> islands. <laughs> well, I hope you have electricity because if from the Jamie Oliver book, you, you need quite a bit of equipment to, to learn to cook. But for that, I have a survival guide to <laughs> know how to make fire. <laughs> okay, the next question then from Wolf of Harcourt Street. Which, uh, with earning seasons kicking off next week, what are the three earning reports you are most looking forward to this quarter and why? So I'm looking forward to IBM. Um, first and foremost, obviously we, we've had the news recently of, of the spin-off, so I'm looking forward to see a little bit more information on, on what that entails. And I've spoke about them in the in the, the last the last one. Red Hat is really interesting to me, so I just want to see how how they are performing and, and how how they're doing. And the next two will be Cisco and Walgreens. Um, Walgreens is is quite interesting. I know Phil from earlier. He he wrote to them asking them about their um so they're setting up this md village and and they wrote quite a bit they wrote a, a personal response to him so I'm, I'm interested to see they did mention that there'll be more information about that in their their next report next week so i'm, I'm interested in, in those three 
Okay, so for me, it's Danone. Um, I went quite big this year in Danone from zero to a lot. So I just want to see um, uh, how it was doing with their packaged water sales, as an example, uh, because that was severely hitting Q2 during the lockdown. So I would like to see a little bit of recovery there. I don't expect too much because it's still hard in Europe, at least to uh, go to a restaurant and, uh, and go out for dining. Second one would be Royal Dutch Shell. I've just in general a large position there, and I really like to see what this low oil price is doing to them and how it looks like still for the dividend after the cut. Did it become better now or not? And the third one is Microsoft uh, for just a simple reason that I really like uh, Sachin Nadella as a CEO and I'm impressed by the Azure numbers typically. So this is for me more like a popcorn uh, earnings, uh, Microsoft, and just you know enjoy the ride. Good. Um, so the next question is from Dividend Newbie. And he asked, as a new dividend investor with a lot to learn, what metrics should he prioritize to build his understanding of dividend investing? Yeah, so we spoke a little bit before the show here. And, and uh, sorry, uh, Dividend Newbie, but we're not going to make it easy on you um, because we're recommending to not look at metrics at all uh, at, from priority point of view. Uh, until you have um, educated yourself a little bit on how to read an income statement and balance sheet and a, and a cash flow statement. I think if you go to Udemy or one of those courses, probably for 50 or 60 bucks, and I think you have somewhere uh, EMF, uh, even a link available probably. I, I, I thought I remember that from you. In Investment Talk has, has a great ebook on that and it, it, takes, ah, you, it. Yeah. it takes you through step by step. I, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd recommend that. That's yeah. a good place to start. And once you get that a little bit, then metrics start to make sense because you know that the price to earnings metric often says nothing, specifically not when there were some outliers in the earnings in the recent uh, quarter, for instance. So my advice, take Investment Talks uh, course, ebook, and read that and then take it from there. And, and feel free to also reach out to us for any questions. Yeah, I, I mean, I fell into that trap early and, and just focusing on, on metrics and you, you'll get caught chasing yield and you won't understand what some of the metrics mean. But if you if you just take a look, go through each one, start with the income statement and, and understand that, then things will start becoming a little bit more clearer and you'll, you'll start being able to make decisions on your own. And metrics are there to help, but I mean, the, the financial statements are, are where you're going to make your decisions. So I would I would use that as a, a good... A good starting point he also followed up then with a with a, a secondary question to that and he, he just asked are there different are the different assessments of various stocks by dividend investors because the different different investors place more value on certain metrics yes yeah i mean it, it, it's a one word answer isn't it of course i mean every every investor has has their own own metrics and, and own way of value on companies so they're going to value a company based on on certain metrics so that is yes uh, uh, going back to the previous point i'd say just just fo focus on understanding first and then you'll start to develop your own own metrics over time yeah okay the next question is from russ our friend from uh, chicago i believe with his uh, own uh, podcast as well which is called Depper Dividends, if you're interested. And Russ is asking, do you think that this pandemic has impacted dividends in the near to long term? 
Almost half of the companies in the global dividend index canceled dividends in quarterly quarter two and 25% lowered them, while just 25% kept them in tech. Yeah, I mean, the pandemic is, is going to have an effect on, on companies, especially companies with weaker balance sheets. We're going to see dividends obviously being cut from them and they're going to struggle. Even if they get through this pandemic, they're going to struggle coming out the other side. So I suppose it's like any other crash, I would imagine. The stronger companies, the companies with the strong balance sheets, they'll come out and they'll continue to pay. We look at dividend aristocrats and dividend kings. They've been paying for years and years. So it will have an impact on some companies, but I don't expect certainly every single company to stop paying. And, and looking at my portfolio, I'm, I'm quite happy with, with the companies I have in, in that sense. So, of course, it has, has an impact, but I mean, I'm not panicking just yet. So uh, what I would like to add to this is that I always look up the dividend policy on the investor relations website. It's one of the first things I do. And I would like to see commitment there in growing dividends. This is in Europe, almost never the case, right? They usually say 40 to 50% 40 to of uh, earnings is being paid out, which gives them an out of jail card to cut the dividend. Even if they had over the last six, seven years, 70%, they have this out of jail card. That's why I typically look at the last big recession. So when I'm analyzing companies and when they cut, for instance, in 2007 to 2009, their dividend, it's a, it's a really bad sign for me because it means that the dividend is not one of the most important, uh, how is it, um, uh, topics for them, uh, for the for the board of directors. And I just imagine like, hey, you know, in such times, I need to get my food on the table. So if I then have half my portfolio just slashing the dividends because it's a bad year, I could say, okay, it was a bad year. But what? Where should I should I otherwise get my money from? It's probably from by selling assets from my portfolio. But they are also down in such times. So if you then look at the Noble Thirty Index, uh, there I think since the pandemic, I think there were only Shell. Only Shell and another company, so two companies that are not anymore in there, slash their dividends out of 30. So to your point, strong companies, but also with a strong tradition, those are the companies that I really uh, look at. And then I don't care really about the fact that half of their, half of the index, uh, global index, uh, slash their dividends, because it's a bit meaningless to me from that point of view. Very good. So we had a question from Investingly. He said, what do you guys think about UK stocks? And any decent, maybe less well-known dividend plays you recommend? So I wrote down, Diego is a load of, uh, stay away from them. <laughs> but I think you had a good, I think you had a good pick there, did you? Yeah, uh, I would like to pay your drag your attention to Halma, uh, also a Noble 30 member. Uh, lots of years of dividend increase. I believe it's a holding company, so it's it, it, uh, like a Buffett kind of company. And it really invests in really nice companies. You will see it has a low yield, but it, it has it had tremendous growth over the years. So if you are looking for a UK company, have a look at Halma. It might actually positively surprise you. Very good. Then we had another question from Dr. In Verza, I think it's called. Um, Spanish, so excuse my Spanish there. Um, do you usually reinvest the dividends in the same company or do you take the money and invest it in others depending on the current market price? I mean, this is similar to, to dividend waves. I don't currently have the option to do that on, on the Gyro, so I, I typically just take it and, and reinvest. So I can do this only with Dutch stocks for which I own enough stocks. 
Yeah, because if you have, for instance, uh, let's say I would have Unilever 100 stocks and it has a 3% three, three yield, there's nothing to reinvest because I would need at least 1% per quarter to, to reinvest, right? So it needs to. I need to have a certain amount of shares. So it's not for a lot of stocks. Uh, I guess the only one that I'm really reinvesting automatically always is uh, Royal Dutch Shell because of that. But I can only do it for Dutch stocks at uh, Bing Bank. However, late, uh, just like two weeks ago, I opened up uh, an account in Trading 212. I'm a bit playing with it. And I saw that you can have an auto reinvest option for dividends. I don't know really what that means yet and how it works. Uh, I'm sure someone like Dividend Wave is able to explain that further with or, or Tony, One Million Journey, because they are using this more and more and longer. Um, I'm on the, because this is probably also about the philosophy behind it, right? So I prefer to get the cash on my bank account and redeploy it at a, a company that is at that time undervalued. Although for high quality companies, um, probably not anymore that Shell fits into it, but that's what I've been doing. But for a company or Denona or Unilever or or, or, or such, I, I would probably turn it on blindly if I could, if I would have had enough shares. Yeah. So we, we have one more question. We, we nearly missed this actually. Um, just looking on Twitter, it's from Danny. And he asked if you were to choose an industry in the next 10 year period to become extremely valuable, what would it be? For example, hydrogen or wind? Yeah, I, um, I think that's one, but from, I think I touched upon it last year, last week or two weeks ago as well. I think it was a question from Investment Talk. I would do it into data solutions that make the life of data scientists easier. Mm -hmm. Snowflake is a good example. I've, I, I don't see the value there now because I think it's overvalued, mm -hmm. but such tech companies that really, really allow uh better data engineering and quick data cleanup innovation in that is something that i will place my bets on yeah very good and i i just want to say that we we have a twitter group that danny set up for european investors which is quite active uh, particularly during the day when i'm in work but it's quite active in in european stocks so if you're interested in european stocks i just want to chat with people that like european stocks just drop me a dm or, or danny or or any one of us and we'll, we'll add you to the group but that concludes our questions this week. Thanks a million, guys. I mean, they're, they're great as always. Um, really enjoy them, so keep them coming. So we'll move on to our next section, which is yes. our stock pick. So I, we, I don't have anything prepared for this. Well, I haven't anything wrote down, so I'm interested to hear who yours is this week. It's, it's a surprise to me. Yeah, it's Novo Nordisk. Okay. So Novo Nordisk yesterday gave a uh, trading update, like kind of a heads up to the quarterly earnings. And they have increased their, uh, I said, their earnings expectations or the earnings for forecast uh, going forward. COVID-19 seemed to have been less severe or less impactful than they initially expected. The stock price rate they popped again, three, three and a half percent. I gave Novo Nordisk also as a stock pick like a few weeks ago. And all the time when I'm watching into this company, um, I just like it. You know, I thought like, you know, how will they earn their money if COVID-19 is um, so impactful with people with preconditions like diabetes that they earn their money from? I mean, if many people would die from Corona and that have diabetes, then there is no market for them anymore. But, uh, you know, this is pep talk, right? But they did pretty well. And um, 
I still didn't go through all the numbers yet. And this is not a buy recommendation, our stock pick. It's more like an inspiration for you, maybe also to do some more homework on. So it's a Danish company. So maybe Dividend Dane also uh, uh, can add something more here on Twitter once he, he listened to the show. Nice. So, so my pick this week is Abvi. Um, I think I've recommended them before. But they just look quite quite undervalued to me. I've I've recently discovered fast graphs and I've been been playing around with it and they do they are trading well below their historical PE ratio and, and looking at the returns over the next couple of years, you're looking at a I think an annual ROR of about eighty seven percent over the next three years. So there seems to be quite room for for growth there. Um, as I said, they're, they're heavily undervalued. They're a tier one company for me and someone that I'm I'm always buying a small bit of every every month so that's who, who i recommend this week great well time went really quick again emf uh again a nice show i think i mean i i, I really enjoy talking about this stuff and it was really interesting to uh, uh read up a little bit on munich re was was some time for me uh, ago and it just shows how difficult it is to analyze insurance companies but they might make sometimes pretty good dividend growth investments for us so i hope that uh, we inspired you with this pick and uh, yeah thanks again for listening from my side yeah and, and for me i mean it kind of cured my hangover for the last 45 minutes um but yeah no it was, it was really interesting insurance companies for me were are quite difficult to to analyze and as I said, looking at the statements at the beginning was a little bit overwhelming, and and probably if I wasn't preparing for this, I may have just closed the laptop and 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 just forgot about them. But it was a good exercise to to go through and understand different terms and and what they mean and how they correlate to. I mean, the likes of Unilever, as you said earlier, how how does how their statements compare? So it's a good exercise and, and one I'd recommend anyone that that's new to do and just to get get familiar with them um so yeah no it's good for me and um, thanks thanks to you as always and, and thanks to all our listeners and we see you all next week i hope